Lord, our relationship with you is important for absolutely everything in our lives and for all eternity. And that relationship is describable in the one word, faith. We have faith in you. We must have faith in you. This faith in you is a gift that you have given us. It is something that we can exercise and do so only by your grace. And we pray for your glory. Once again, as we continue on in this amazing chapter in the book of Hebrews, give us a greater insight into what faith is all about and how it functions and what is called upon of us and how we are to view you. Specifically, again now, through the example of the life of Moses, who was a man of faith. Guide us, speak to us, encourage us, strengthen us, that we may live before you pleasing in your sight. In Christ we pray. Amen. The Old Testament account of Moses' life demonstrates that the life of faith is more a pilgrimage than a pasture. Moses spent long periods of time in a few places, but wherever he was, he was not idle. He was not just passing time. He was not just hanging out in a pasture. He was always on a pilgrimage, even though he wasn't physically going constantly from, from, excuse me, from place to place. Moses was always going somewhere, spiritually primarily, but always going somewhere. Following God is always going or always being somewhere meaningful to serve. Either we venture forth or we vegetate. Either we risk actively or we rust. Either we purposely pursue a walk of faith or we stagnate. Like Moses, faith in Christ can enable us to choose the imperishable, see the invisible and do the impossible. By any imaginable human analysis, Moses faced impossible odds. Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army were overwhelmingly superior in power and force. But by faith, Moses trusted the Lord to deal with the challenges which were constantly before him. And then I think of enormous encouragement to us is the fact that Moses' faithful endurance was not really in any sense a natural ability of his. He was, after all, as we come to understand him better, primarily through the Old Testament account, a hesitant. What? Children's church. Oh, I'm sorry. Children may go to children's church. 
Moses was a hesitant, and I hesitated to tell them that, and retiring man. He was not a naturally faithful and strong individual. He endured as a result of the trust that he placed in the Lord through which he and the Israelites that he led were delivered. When we trust in God, we get what God can do. When we trust in ourselves, we get only what weak, fallible humans can do. Consider our text for this morning, beginning at verse 27, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith... They passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. The great event in the Old Testament, which is the dominant paradigm for our salvation, is the exodus from Egypt. It's pointed back to continually. It's pointed back to even in the New Testament the exodus from Egypt, the generation that Moses led out of captivity, despite their many failures, despite their many rebellions, performed by the grace of God a great act of faith. The exodus itself, the passage through the Red Sea, was that great act of faith as they depended on God. Hebrews 11, verses 27 to 29, focuses on Moses... He's the leader of God's people whose example shows that godly leadership is made courageous by faith. Moses was not naturally create courageous, but godly leadership is made courageous by faith. And that such leadership is able to encourage the reproduction of faith in the lives of others. These two things that I think are emphasized through the example of Moses. But right off the bat in our text this morning, what do we make of verse 27, which tells us that Moses left Egypt not being afraid of the wrath of the king? Well, this becomes an issue if you actually read through the Old Testament account. Because when Moses first left Egypt... After he had killed an Egyptian overseer, Exodus chapter 2, it seems that he fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in Midian with some, what we would consider, very understandable fear of what Pharaoh might do to him. It looks like fear was very much involved in Moses' departure. But Hebrews 11, verse 27, says just the opposite. Moses' departure from Egypt was not because he feared Pharaoh. So, perhaps this refers, verse 27, refers to Moses' later departure from Egypt at the actual exodus. That, was, that account is found in Exodus chapter 12. Rather than the earlier departure in Exodus 2, maybe verse 27 here in Hebrews 
11 is referring to the later departure, which was the departure of the Exodus itself. Exodus chapter 12, verses 33 to 51. At that point, it's very obvious in the Old Testament account that fear of Pharaoh was not a factor for Moses at all. Indeed, in Exodus 2 and verse 14, at the first departure, the text explicitly mentions Moses' fear. So many commentators, no less than John Calvin and John Knox, say that Hebrews 11, verse 27, must be therefore referring to the second departure from Egypt. After all, at the time of the Exodus, we find Moses courageously standing before Pharaoh and calling down plagues from God on the Egyptians. He was anything but fearful at that point. However, if Hebrews 11, verse 27 refers to the Exodus, then verse 28, referring to the Passover, seems to come after the Exodus in the Hebrews account and not, be, not before it. It seems to make the Hebrews account out of order. The account in Hebrews has been following a straightforward historical progression, which is now broken, it would seem, if the Exodus is mentioned before the Passover. And further, if verse 27 of Hebrews 11 is referring to Moses' departure from Egypt at the Exodus, well then why make a big deal of Moses not fearing Pharaoh at that point? Why say, gee, when he left, left at the Exodus, he didn't do so fearing God. Why even make that point? Because there seems no reason to mention Moses' lack of fear in reference to the Exodus. By then, by the time of the Exodus, Pharaoh and the Egyptians were pleading for the Israelites to leave. Of course, if Hebrews 11 verse 27 refers to Moses' earlier departure from Egypt, mentioning that when he left, he did so not fearing Pharaoh, if that's really about the earlier departure, well, then that would seem to be making a rather significant point, significant point, which isn't necessarily obvious right at the jump, but still significant, given the very obvious circumstances that would, for most people, have brought about only fear. Back again to the first departure. Moses had killed an Egyptian of some prominence, and he could expect... Pharaoh to be angry. He could expect Pharaoh to be seeking to punish him. A fearful thing, certainly for most people. But given the importance of Moses' faith, and that that focus on Moses' faith is the focus here of Hebrews 11, explaining that, that very normal fear of Moses that he would have felt as a result of his encounter with the Egyptian taskmaster was actually not, in fact, explaining that that was not, in fact, why he left Egypt at that earlier point, Exodus chapter 2, is meaningful and important. So yes, Exodus 2, the account says Moses was afraid, but chapter 11, verse 27 of Hebrews clarifies for us, even though he was afraid, he nevertheless it, it, it should nevertheless be considered that Moses left Egypt out of fear. He was afraid after killing 
the Hebrew taskmaster, but when he got to the point of leaving Egypt, he didn't leave out of fear. Since he knew God's call was upon him to deliver his people. You got to go back and read the account carefully in Exodus. But that fact, he already knew when he left that God's call was upon him to lead the people of God. This is confirmed in Acts chapter 7 and verse 25. Yes, Mo Moses' abortive attempt to free the Israelites when he killed the Egyptian taskmaster had failed. And yes, he became afraid. But his faith in God apparently overcame his fear. And when he left Egypt, even at that first time, he didn't leave in fear. He left trusting God implicitly and awaiting the Lord's further instruction and direction. So even after doing a foolish and inappropriate thing, Moses remained a man of great faith in God, as we ought to as well. Even when we fall short, even when we act impulsively, even when we do foolish things, even when we make mistakes, even when we sin, having not properly grasped what God has called us to do, we can and should follow God by faith, learning from missteps and repenting of wrongdoing. Indeed, such honest repenting and learning is a mark of real faith in the Lord. I think that's what the text is implying. Now, admittedly, there's some uncertainty in this understanding as I am taking it of Hebrews 11 verse 27. But recognizing that Hebrews is prominently written to Hebrew Christians who are undergoing persecution or at least the very real threat of persecution by Caesar, the parallels of Moses' experience and theirs would be rather striking. Moses is an example to them of the fact that fear must be met with faith. Yes, there will be things that bring about fear, but even so, we can and ought, like Moses, be faithful. That's a strong theme throughout the Moses account here in Hebrews 11, wherein we're told that Moses' parents hid him because they were not afraid of the king's edict. Hebrews 11, verse 23. Now Moses leaves Egypt, not fearing the king's wrath, but seeing him who is unseen or invisible. Likewise, first century Christians must not shrink back in their hour of trial. In the face of Caesar's persecution, a king not at all unlike Pharaoh, they must stand firm in their faith in God. That would be the lesson. And that same lesson or that same principle applies to us today. Whenever we face powers or authorities telling us to do something, telling us not to do something, which is clearly contrary to God and His Word, we must always trust in God and be strong in our faith in Him. So then we might ask, how did Moses stand firm? And how are we to do so? Verse 27 again. He endured as seeing him who is unseen. That's always how the people of God are victorious in threatening circumstances. Seeing him who is unseen. 
That's how David defeated Goliath. The nine and a half foot behemoth mocked young David, but David said to him, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. This is how Daniel's three friends stood firm before the king of Babylon, even to the point of being cast in the fiery furnace. They saw their Lord, invisible to sight, but evident to faith. Then when the king saw them in the fiery furnace amidst the flames, he cried out amazed to see a fourth figure with them who looked like God. Daniel 3 and verse 25. They'd already seen their God, and they'd seen him clearly, and they were willing to go to what was certain death. Then when they were in the midst of it, then God appeared apparently among them. The great Scottish reformer John Knox, whom I already referred to, was asked how he could so boldly confront the Roman Catholic queen. Knox said the following. One does not fear the queen of Scotland when one has been on his knees before the king of kings. One does not fear the powers that be that move against God when one has been on his or her knees with the king of kings. The one who frequently communes with God in prayer and in his word will see God's face in the midst of the fight and therein find courage and a strong incentive to faith. Such a one will, as the Apostle Paul said elsewhere, walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. Moses seeing him who is unseen some have thought this is a reference to when Moses encountered God at the burning bush. The burning bush, of course, was the awesome and pivotal event when Moses first saw God who revealed himself in part. But I think more likely this reference to Moses seeing him who is unseen is a reference to Moses' continual spiritual perception of God. I think that's what it means. Moses who lived seeing God continually was not put off from being faithful when in challenging circumstances. That's been the emphasis of Hebrews 11 from the very first verse. Faith is what? It's the conviction of things not seen. The faith that is walked in is not walked in by physical seeing, but it is walked in properly by spiritual seeing or perception. Moses was sure of God's promise by faith and therefore he could be certain of the future. He left Egypt awaiting God's timing for that future to become real. Now, we know when Moses was 80 years old, he returned to Egypt, Exodus 7 and verse 7. Surely many years of waiting for Moses, if we take ourselves back to his experience, we read about it after the fact, but surely so many years of waiting were longer than Moses had ever imagined he would wait, or perhaps even Moses would have thought possible. He knew that God had called him to lead the people. He knew that God had a future, and yet he waits until he's 80 years old. His faith, no doubt, being tried. As 10 years turned into 20 years, as 20 years turned into 30 years, as 30 years became 40, likely it would be 
very imaginable to, to think that Moses' confidence was strained, maybe even drained. His sense of calling, there were questions. Was he really called? Perhaps that became dim, perhaps even bitter to him. God promised and said, I would lead the people, but I'm just sitting out here in Midian. Nothing's going on. But God was working his purpose in Moses' life. He had to learn to become a servant and not a master. He had to learn to become a prophet and not a prince. He had to learn that one who depends solely on God is the way to follow God, not one who would depend on himself, which is the way he acted when he killed the Egyptian taskmaster. So God strips Moses of all of his youthful advantages and takes him through decades, literally, of spiritual apprenticeship. He spent 40 years in Egypt becoming somebody. He then spent 40 years in Midian to learn that he was nobody. Then, and only then, was he ready for God to use him back in Egypt. Sometimes there are things that we must learn before God moves us into perhaps the peak calling, if you will, of our lives. Exodus chapters 4 through 10 show Moses' bold confrontation with Pharaoh, delivering one plague after another upon the unbelieving Egyptians. The various plagues pitted the various gods of Egypt against the invisible God who stood behind Moses. One after another, the Egyptian idols were disgraced and mocked in their plagues. Hopi, the god of the Nile, Hecht, the frog, Amun-Re, the sun god. Moses feared a god not fashioned out of visible materials, but the unseen true god. Moses believed the word of God, and he and his, and he and his people were therefore saved. Pharaoh hardened his heart by his unbelief, and he and his people, as a result, were broken. Hebrews 11, verse 28, points to the end of the drama, the tenth and the final plague, the death of the firstborn of Egypt. God told Moses to have the Israelites sacrifice lambs without defect and spread the lamb's blood on the door frames of their homes, seeing the blood, and you know this well, the angel of death would pass over and the terrible plague would not visit them. Exodus chapter 1. On the other hand, loud laments would fill the homes of the Egyptians who did not believe in and trust the true God. Faith does not fear or listen to the world, listen to its powers and rulers. Faith fears and listens to the one true God, carefully obeying all of his word. Moses kept God's word by faith, just as he would told, just as he was told. And in that manner, he and countless others were saved from God's righteous wrath. That's true for all of us who hear the word of our Lord and believe. But picture in your mind, again, put ourselves back in the circumstances that Moses went through at the time. Here he is, a brilliant man, a well-educated man, in front of his house, smearing blood on the doorposts. Completely contrary to his upbringing in Egypt. So unusual, but unusual is just the company that faith prefers, it seems, to keep. 
You think about Noah building an ark without a cloud in the sky. You think about Abraham and Sarah having a child when pushing a century. You think about Isaac lying on an altar and Abraham with a blade in his hand. What unusual road might be God asking you to walk? What dangers and hardships are evident as you are walking on that road? You and I have two choices just as Moses did. Do I want a monument in Egypt or do I want a reward in heaven? That decision determines destiny. The first century readers and receivers of the letter of the Hebrews understood that they had to be saved in the very same way that Moses was. God's wrath will come upon the city of man. God's wrath will certainly fall on their godless oppressors. The way of escaping that death that comes under that judgment is to be like Moses, is to have what we might call Passover faith, secure under the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ is, after all, the Lamb of God, John 1, verse 29. He is our Passover Lamb, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. His redeeming blood is like the blood of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, 1 Peter 1, verse 19, who through his death has destroyed the power of the devil, our spiritual Pharaoh, and delivered us from lifelong bondage, Hebrews 2 and verse 14. John Chrysostom said, If the blood of a lamb then preserved the Jews unhurt in the midst of the Egyptians and in the presence of so great a destruction, much more will the blood of Christ save us from for whom it has been sprinkled, not on our doorposts, but on our souls. For even now the destroyer is still moving around in the depth of the night. But let us be armed with Christ's sacrifice, since God has brought us out of Egypt, out of darkness, out of idolatry. It was this that Moses laid hold of by faith, in the Passover lamb's blood. Hebrews 11.29 concludes the account of Moses and his generation by speaking of their departure from the land of Egypt. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Again, this is a very well-known account. After the plague of the firstborn, Pharaoh and all the Egyptians insisted that the Israelites leave, even supplying them with great riches for their journey. And yet, even after that, and as the Israelites were in the process of leaving, Pharaoh's heart was hardened again, and he chased after them with his, with his chariots. The Israelites, once again, are horrified, and regardless of the Lord bringing them through the ten plagues, and especially bringing them through the last one, they cried out against Moses, and they cried that Moses was allowing their destruction. At that point, Moses gives his great reply, which resounds throughout Scripture and would be echoed by faithful generations, generation after generation to come. Moses said, do not fear. Stand by 
and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 to 14. Given the fact that the Egyptians were bearing down on them from the rear and the impassable Red Sea lay ahead of them, that statement of Moses' was quite a statement of faith. Moses had learned that God's promise to deliver his people was certain of success. He didn't know how at that point God would do it, but he was confident God would deliver the people as promised. It was by faith that he exhorted the people, and God rewarded Moses with the following response. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am Lord when I am honored and glorified through his chariots and his horsemen. Exodus 14, verses 16 to 18. Here they were at the point of no return. And though the people needed prodding, they nevertheless stepped forward into the divided sea, God holding those waters back, which no doubt appeared as though they might at any moment come back together and engulf them. They marched down into the passage. Like so many other believers, they saw no way of escape until God had revealed it to their eyes. This is one of the great pictures of salvation, a salvation which is by grace alone and nonetheless requires us to step forward in saving faith. This is the one way that anyone is ever saved. God makes a way of escape from the raging fury of his righteous wrath and we must accept it and act on it by faith. It points to us Jesus Christ who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Just as Moses' staff parted the waters, parted the waves, so Jesus was lifted up that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Moses was, of course, a pivotal figure in some of the most dramatic scenes in all of redemptive history. The key aspect of his leadership which is true of all good Christian leadership, was, as Hebrews emphasizes, his faith. What, after all, do godly leaders seek but to inspire and instill faith in God in others? Moses' success as a leader of God's people was in passing on his faith to others. Now, none of us can literally give faith to somebody else. None of us can cause someone else to believe. None of us can get someone else saved. Faith is a matter wholly of the Spirit's work and the Spirit's imparting. But we should all seek to model biblical faith, to encourage the development of biblical faith in others. Moses shows us the value of leadership that inspires faith. He was himself the recipient of that same inspiration. We remember, we saw that in Joseph, who ordered that his bones were to be taken up out of Egypt at the Exodus, he did that, did Joseph, as an intentional reminder to the descendants 
of, of his, of God's promise that he would deliver these Hebrews. Moses remembered that very promise because when he left, he took Joseph's bones. The patriarch's faith must, therefore, have made a strong impression on him. Moses' parents also set a strong example of faith, and their impact was felt through the faith of their son, who led so many others out of deliverance from bondage and to their salvation in that promised Savior. Moses' example is an excellent reminder to every Christian leader and really to every Christian along the lines of what Paul said when he wrote the following to Timothy. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 16. The balance between God's sovereignty and our actions and how it contributes is an amazing thing in the Word of God. Faith is also the antidote to fear and danger, seen as God intervenes for his people at the Red Sea. Again, John Owen comments quite rightly on the death of the Egyptians there, applying it to Christians for all time. Owen said, When the oppressors of the church are nearest unto their own ruin, they commonly rage most and are most obstinate in their bloody persecutions. So it is at this day, Owen's lifetime, among the anti-Christian enemies of the church, this destruction of the Egyptians with the deliverance of Israel nearby was a type and pledge of the victory and triumph which the church shall have over its anti-Christian adversaries. He wasn't saying that many of us wouldn't die, but he said the church that Christ carries on will be victorious over adversaries and what happened in Moses' time was a pledge, was a type of that very victory. Moses' example also makes very plain the difference between faith and unbelief. Unbelief fears the king. Unbelief cringes before worldly powers. Unbelief shrinks back from trouble and trial. Unbelief caves in before pressure, opposition, danger. But the heart and the mind of faith looks upon the world and our circumstances with very different eyes. First, those of faith see a God who is unseen, a God whom others do not see. Your employer may not see God. Your employer may not consider the realities of God's justice in making decisions. Friends, neighbors, family members may not understand the choices that you have to make simply because they're blind to the reality and the glory of God. By faith, we see God and we are delivered from the fear of every other power and thing. It should be our prayer 
for all those whom we know that God would open their eyes even as we pray that we should ourselves see and know and act upon the presence of God who although unseen is there seeing him again not literally but seeing him is what drives out fear it did it for Moses with Pharaoh it can do the same for us faith in Christ allows us to look upon this world and see this world as God sees it ours is a world that is under judgment just as the destroyer of the firstborn once visited Egypt so must the holy wrath of God visit all of the ungodly in the end this is what the Red Sea waters symbolized God's judgment pouring over his enemies destroying them and casting them forever in a dark pit of conscious eternal punishment the same waters that saved Israel destroyed the Egyptians that's what the New Testament says about the gospel which is described remember in Hebrews 4:12, as a two-edged sword also described the same way in Revelation 1 and verse 16 to one the gospel is a fragrance of life but to another a fragrance of death 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16 quoting the prophet Isaiah that's what Peter said in his first epistle when he referred to Christ as the cornerstone of God's spiritual temple to those who believe this Christ his gospel is of precious value to those who do not believe he's a stone which makes them stumble he's a rock which makes them fall such a gulf exists between faith and unbelief in the gospel we must therefore with every fiber of our being encourage all to trust in Christ and not to reject him the Red Sea waters are an especially apt symbol of Christ's second coming as were the waters of Noah's flood like the passing of God's people through the Red Sea Christ coming again will bring blessing to his people at the same time as it brings judgment on their enemies as Paul wrote to another group of persecuted Christians God will be vindicated in that day to come he said when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven and his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed second Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 to 10 what a difference faith makes now it means the difference between fear and courageous perseverance the very thing that the early Christians needed the very thing that we need badly today and will I think need increasingly given the direction of our land 
but it will mean even more on the great day to come when the heavens part as the Red Sea once parted and Jesus comes back to bring salvation to those who have trusted in him and judgment on the world that has turned away from him. Yes, I am coming quickly, he says at the very end of the Bible. And all those who look to him in faith, Hebrews 11, afflicted in this world, yes, but not destroyed, all those who look to him in faith will cry out, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we would be liars if we did not confess our faults, our failures, our sins before you, which are many. And yet in the marvel of the way in which you work, we can nevertheless be faithful. We can have faith in you, and that makes such a difference for all eternity and in our specific and individual circumstances. May we, in reflection upon what you have brought us here in Hebrews 11, be men and women of faith. Faith in you, which is the only faith that matters, is true, and makes a real difference. Because you are the one that makes that difference. May we be found in that faith, sharing that faith, and not part of the company who, because they have rejected you, are under judgment and will be judged. In Christ we pray that our faith would be strong and our witness would be sure that you might be known in all that we do, in all that we say, and in all that we are. We pray in him. Amen. If you will stand for the benediction. I am a weak person. Moses was a weak person. I sin plenty. He sinned plenty. But I can still be faithful by the grace of God. May it be so in your life as well. Look to him. Follow him. Do all for him. Depart in his peace, but remain, I pray, for lunch. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>